Good morning. Let's pray. Father God, we need you. We need you. We want to see you. We want to behold you and your glory. As we gather together, it's for you, Lord. So we ask that you would help us. Whom have we in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that we desire besides you. Our flesh and our heart may fail, God, but you are the strength of our hearts. And you are our portion forever. We come to you, to the altar of God, our exceeding joy. You, God, are our exceeding joy joy in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forever more we believe that god and so we ask you we beg you lord help us to see you to behold you and glorify you lord be pleased i pray as we pray to you as we praise you as we plead with you and our hearts to look upon us and graciously say to our hearts awake live for your glory God and not our own we pray in Christ's name amen we'll turn in your bibles to John chapter 12 today's palm sunday it's to be expected probably that we will talk about the triumphal entry, and we will briefly, at least to get us started. What I hope to do, I hope to point to in God's Word today is this, people who find their identity in Christ love the glory that comes from God more than the glory that comes from man. It's blindness that causes us to love the glory that comes from man more. And so, the beginning of seeing our identity in Christ is seeing His identity and believing in Him. If you look in John chapter 12, um, verses 12 through 19 is John's account of the triumphal entry. And we know the story of the triumphal entry. I'm not going to read all of those verses. We're going to kind of briefly go through them and then go uh, from there but at the very beginning of that verse 12 it says the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that jesus was coming to jerusalem jesus is on his way into jerusalem we know the the story right he rides into jerusalem on the back of a donkey coming into jerusalem and verse 12 says that the crowds that had gathered for the feast are there okay now josephus who is a first century uh historian jewish historian tells us that In A.D. 64 and 65, there were around 2.7 million Jews who gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover. So this is an estimate, okay, but we're going to be gracious. Less than 30 years earlier, we can estimate that there were probably over a million, and that's being very generous, okay, over generous to the low end, okay, Over a million people gathered together. Verse 12 says, The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And we know the story, right? They're waving these palm branches to him. That was a a shout in itself. That was a cry of victory for them. And they're literally shouting out from their mouths, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. There's the triumphal entry sermon, okay? Now, in the next four days, Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, he's praying, he's serving among the people, day in, day out. And, and, and we can get it mixed up, okay? Because if you read John's account from the triumphal entry until he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, it's like years. Like, all that Jesus does in the last few days of his life, it's just mind-blowing, okay? And so we can read John's account and pick up from the Garden of Gethsemane and read all the way through, uh, or excuse me, um, from the triumphal entry and read all the way through to the Garden of Gethsemane. We kind of can lose track of things and think, well, that's a long period of time. It's not a long period of time. It's just a few days, okay? And so this was Sunday, John chapter 12, verses 12 through uh, verse 19, the triumphal entry. This is Sunday, And Jesus teaches for the next four days, all day long, being with people, praying, serving. And then we come to late Thursday night and Friday and we see a completely different scene. Jesus is not riding on a donkey anymore. Jesus has been betrayed by one of his disciples. He's been arrested and illegally tried. He's been denied by Peter having been beaten and handed over to Pilate, who was the governor, he's brought before the crowds. Now, who are the crowds? What's the crowd? It's the crowd of people who had gathered for the Passover. And he's brought before the crowd. And Pilate asks the crowd, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews. Now, this is hard for us to do, okay? But if we could possibly, as people who have been in church for a little bit of time or grown up in church, if we could possibly just kind of uh, just read the scriptures fresh like it was the first time, we come to that, right? We're going to turn to Matthew 15 and see the account in a second. But we come to the point where, where uh, Pilate says to the crowd, do you want me to release for you Jesus, the king of the Jews? And we're like, well, there's hope, right? Because we know the crowd. We've seen the crowd. We know what the crowd does on Sundays, right? The crowd on Sundays, they cry out things like Hosanna. They praise, they worship on Sundays. And this is the same crowd. So there's hope, right? Certainly this crowd who worships on Sundays will do the right thing. And Jesus is going to go free, right? Because we know what they do on Sundays, So we have hope when we see Pilate ask them, the same crowd that worships on Sundays, what do you want me to do? There's hope. Jesus is going free for sure, right? Well, let's see what happens in Mark chapter 15. Starting with verse 11. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them. Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. 
Let me ask you, how does that happen? How is that possible? How is it possible? How can people proclaim praise on Sunday and then completely deny the Lord on Friday? How is that possible? How is it possible that you can get a crowd of people who are proclaiming praise to Jesus and then specifically this crowd will hatefully deny him and cry out, crucify him just five days later? Just five days. It's just five days later. How does that happen? How is it possible for a, a group of people who have so loudly and joyfully proclaimed praise to Jesus, turn their back on him and deny him? We need to know, right? Because this happens now. People who find their identity in church, not in Jesus. I mean, how many people come and their identity is in church? We love this. The band sounded great this morning. I mean, we get to sing together. This is joyful. We have people. I mean, even as Lance was kind of leading us into the time where we fellowship together and saying that Jesus has broken down all of these barriers relationally, too. We have people that we would never hang out with together outside of this, apart from church, if our identity is in church. And we get to hang out with those people. We get to see those people. We get to be with those people. We love church. We love gathering for church. It's how we were raised. It's what we do on Sundays. This is our identity. So many people find their identity in church rather than in Jesus. And the answer, when we look at this passage and and these passages and see we have this people who praise him with their lips and sing out praise to him together on Sunday and then Friday completely deny him. The reason for that is in their identity. Where does their identity truly lie? Is it in Jesus or not? We look further in John chapter 12, if you're still there, John chapter 12, starting with verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than, than the glory that comes from God. They loved 
the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They loved the praise that comes from man more than the praise that comes from God. They loved the approval that comes from man more than the approval that comes from God. Their identity was not in God. It was not in Jesus. They did not want his praise or approval. They wanted his stuff. And we see that earlier with the triumphal entry. As they cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. That means save us or save now. The psalmist in Psalm 118. You can read the whole thing, but I'm just going to look at verse 25 right now. The psalmist gives us the word, the same word that we Use for Hosanna in Psalm 118, verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Now, there's nothing wrong with that prayer, okay? Okay, the problem comes when our identity and our desires are for what we get from Jesus, not for Jesus. And that's the issue here. They loved they love the praise that comes from men. They love the, the, the affirmation that comes from men. They love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. They did not see Jesus as the holy and just God, rightful ruler and judge with authority to condemn our sins, yet full of love, willing to die and take the due punishment for those sins so that if they would only surrender to him, they would be given their greatest need, which was not success, which was not a military king. It was forgiveness and a relationship with God the Father. But they didn't see him. They couldn't see him. They merely saw his coming as one coming to take out their enemies and crown them with wealth and safety and success. But that's not what Jesus rode into Jerusalem to do. He says that. He's just finished telling them in verses 22 through 36 why he is coming to Jerusalem. And they didn't see it. They didn't believe it. He came to lay down his life and call all to believe in him and deny themselves and those lesser idolatrous desires for stuff that he can give them and to take up their cross willing to die with him and to follow him. That's what he rode into Jerusalem to proclaim and do. And when they realized that Jesus was not giving them what they wanted when they wanted it, that he was not the kind of savior that they wanted, they were no longer interested. And so they said, you are no good to us now. Crucify him. So what is it that they missed What did they need? What do we need? They needed to see him. They needed to see him. We need to see him.
Verse 37, though, they had, though, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. What would happen if they saw him? It tells us right here, if they see and they understand They will turn from their sins and God would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Verse 42 talks about belief. And it says many of the authorities believed in him. And so what we need to ask is, because he says already, how does he say in verse 37, though he had done so many signs, they still did not believe in him. And yet in verse 42, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. What does he mean there? Is he talking there about saving faith? It's important that we ask that, okay? It's important that we ask, is he talking about saving faith there? Because there's a difference. You know there's a difference, right? You know there's a difference in in belief. The demons, James tells us, believe. 100% believe. And even tremble before God. But they're not forgiven. They're not saved. It's not a saving faith that says, I treasure you, Jesus. We need to know, we need to ask because we don't want to look at a passage like this and say, well, I mean, we see clearly here that Jesus says that these people believed and they didn't confess him. And they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And they, they didn't do the things that seems like Jesus demands us to do. And so maybe I'm okay. We want to know what is saving faith and what is happening here. And let me just tell you, maybe for some of them it is saving faith. But what we see in John 12 is not the kind of faith the Bible describes as saving. In fact, just a few chapters earlier in John chapter 5, Jesus says to the crowd of people, not the same crowd, it's not Passover, people who are following him in John chapter 5 verse 45 he says how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God how how can you believe how can you believe in me when you just want to get affirmation from the people around you how can you believe when it's more important to you that you're praised by the people that surround you than you're you're praised by me how can you believe he goes in the next chapter we see a picture of all of these people who believed in jesus and and it says many of his disciples they're following jesus right they're even called disciples or people who are following him right they're following jesus and it says in chapter six as jesus teaches the hard message The message of this is what it's going to mean. If you're going to follow after me, if you're going to come after me, this is what it means. 
They left him. They abandoned him. So much so that it says he looked at his disciples and said, are you going to leave also? In Mark chapter 4, Jesus teaches the parable of the seed and, and, he, and he tells, even towards the beginning of his ministry, he says, the word of God is going to go out and some of the seed, the word of God, is going to fall on the path. That's the hard ground and, and the birds of the air are going to come and steal it away. And he tells us what that means. Satan's going to come and he's going he's to take that. Before it even has a chance to go into the ground, Satan's going to take that away. And, and he says, some of it's going to fall on the rocky ground. And that's the kind of ground where there's, there's just a little bit of soil. And maybe on the top it looks healthy, but there's just a little bit of soil. And underneath that is just rock, just solid rock. And so the seed falls on it and it, and it goes in quickly. And it even produces some kind of evidence that there's growth on the outside. But Jesus says it's not really growth. And so when the root, which you look and you think there must be a root down there, but as the root tries to go in deep, it hits rock. And it can't grow and it dies. And some of the people are going to be like that, where it looks like they believe. And yet when difficulties come, it reveals they really didn't believe in Jesus. They're just like the people of John 6, where the difficult message comes and they abandon him. They leave him. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Is that what we see in the people who believe in chapter 12? It says, Many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. They were ashamed. They were afraid of what might happen to them if people knew that they believed in Jesus. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words... Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And then lastly, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, Jesus says, 26 and 27, If if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, And even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does Jesus mean when he says that? He means this, the glory that comes from me is far better than the glory that comes from Moms and dads and sisters and brothers and neighbors and synagogue rulers and any other person on the face of the planet. Seek the glory that comes from me more than the glory that comes from man. Again, is it possible that some of the people that are referred to here in John chapter 12 and maybe many of those people are just 
unique and early believers who need to be sanctified and they're just, they're just ashamed and they don't want to say anything. If anyone's going to come after me, anyone's going to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. These passages point to a faith that says we love the glory that comes from God more than the glory that comes from men. If we praise him on Sunday, we will not deny him on Friday. We have seen him and we choose him. We love him. We treasure him more than anything else on this planet. Now, let me just say as a side note here, you may hear this and you're like, Gosh, I thought I was coming to Palm Sunday. Like, I thought we even got palm branches and everything. Listen, listen. It's urgent that we understand what is true faith. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name? Do we not do many miracles in your name? And I will say to them, I'm sorry. I never knew you. It matters. It matters how we come to Jesus. And these passages point to faith that says we come on your terms, Jesus, not on our own. We need to see, we need to see the Lord. Isaiah is an example to us. We see in John chapter 12, Isaiah saw the Lord. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isn't that interesting comparison? Isaiah saw him and he spoke of him. These people believe in him, but they're afraid and they do not confess him. Isaiah saw the Lord and he spoke of him. Isaiah chapter 6 gives us the, the, the passage on that where Isaiah at the beginning of chapter 6 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he gives this, this, us this glorious and wonderful description of what he sees. And we see, we get to verse 5, and, and we see what Isaiah's response to the Lord was. What is his response there? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'll do whatever you ask. I'll go wherever you send. I'll say whatever you want me to say. In fact, we see that in in verses 6 and 7 and 8, where we're... God sends this angel and we get a picture of cleansing that takes place in Isaiah. And then God says, who will go for us and whom shall we send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And throughout his life, what do we see then? Just a willingness, whatever you want, Lord, if it means persecution, if it means suffering, whatever you want me to say, I'll say it, God. You send me because I've seen you and I've seen your glory. Isaiah loved the glory that comes from God. He had seen 
God. He found his identity in God, not in man. And so he spoke of God, even difficult, even persecution-bringing words. Let me ask, is there any way for us to know what we love more? Is there a way for me to know, is there a way for you to know whether I love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God, or whether I love the glory that comes from God more than I love the glory that comes from man? If I daily find that I am not holy because I fear what men will think of me, if daily I find that I am not holy because I don't like holy things, I like unholy things, if daily I find that I am not confessing the Lord because I'm afraid of the people around me and what they might think of me, that I love the glory that comes from man. Now remember, I'm saying here daily, daily, daily. It doesn't say in Scripture that we're going to come to know the Lord and that we're going to live these perfect lives. Because of Christ, thanks be to God, in the presence of God, we are seen as holy and blameless. That's Ephesians 1. Our identity is changed, and we are new people, and we are holy and blameless before Him. But it doesn't say that we're not going to sin anymore, we're not going to fall or fail or, or, or mess up anymore. We will, we will. But if daily, 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 I am a person who does not like holy things, I prefer unholiness in my own life, and I I don't live a holy life because I'm afraid of what people might think of me, then I love the glory that comes from man. I love the praise. I love the attention that comes from man more than the attention that comes from God. And what I need is a person who is finding their identity in others, not in Jesus. I need to see just as much as Isaiah needed it, just as much as the Pharisees and the crowd I need to see him. We need to see him. And so how does that happen? How can we see? First of all, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or excuse me, yeah, chapter 4, verse 6. tells us that seeing is a gracious and sovereign work of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We need that. We need to see Him and what Scripture has taught us is that it is a gracious and sovereign work of God. So what do we do? We plead and pray to a gracious and sovereign God that He will shine in our hearts. 
I'll tell you, you know, we get to these hard verses and passages where Jesus says things like, you have to be willing to die for me. And if you're not willing to die for me, you're not worthy of me. If you're not willing to hate your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, whoever it is, then, then you can't be my disciple. We get to those things. I don't, I don't preach these things to like throw guilt upon you. I'm telling you right now, I stand before you as a person who continues to plead with a gracious and sovereign God. Lord, shine in my heart. Please shine in my heart that I would see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and you would be exalted through me. Shine in my heart so that I don't love the glory that comes from man as much even comparable to the glory that comes from you. Shine in my heart so that I don't waste my life. Shine in my heart so that I live a life that is pleasing to you, God. We need to be praying and asking a gracious, gracious and sovereign God that he would shine in our hearts and give us, give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So pray and pray and pray And then seek. More than you seek any other thing. Seek. That you would see him. We might see these passages. And we might be tempted to say. Well we can't see like Isaiah saw. I mean it's very clear. Isaiah says. I mean. In the year the king Uzziah died. I saw the Lord. Literally. I literally saw him. Lifted up and exalted. I literally saw the train of his robe fill the temple. I literally saw the smoke. I literally saw the seraphim. I literally heard them crying out to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So we know that's true of Isaiah, Tony. I can't see like that. That's not true. Yes, you can. So you're saying, Tony, that sometime this week then we're going to leave this service and we're all going to have these visions. If we pray hard enough to a gracious and sovereign God, we're going to have visions like, nope, no. But I know that Peter and James and John saw the Lord like Isaiah did. In fact, Luke chapter 9 tells me that they did. They went up on a mountain with Jesus And while they were on a mountain with Jesus, he was transfigured, transformed right in front of their faces, literally. He saw this, they saw this happen. And so Jesus is standing there completely glorified in front of them. And while they're looking at him, Elijah and Moses come and they're hanging out with Jesus and they're talking. And Peter and James and John literally heard the three of them talking about Jesus' departure. And while they're standing there, the glory cloud comes down and surrounds them. The same cloud of glory that Isaiah saw. The same cloud of glory that the Israelites looked up and saw on the mountain and trembled in fear before it. Because God had said to them, if the glory cloud, my cloud, is on the mountain and you touch the mountain, you're going to die. 
And so they trembled before it, and this cloud surrounds Jesus and Peter and James and John. And then, literally, from the voice of the cloud, or from the midst of the cloud, they hear the voice of God say to them, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Can you imagine being there with Peter and James and John and beholding that? What did Peter think of that? Peter writes about that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. He says, listen, you can... This is in Tony's translation, okay? You can trust what we're saying to you because we're not, we're not telling you these cleverly devised myths that have just been passed along to us. We were there. We saw his glory and we heard the voice come from the cloud on the majestic mountain. We saw it and we heard it when God spoke and said, this is my son, my beloved son whom I love. You can trust what we are saying to you because we were there. Do you know what Peter says right after that? We have something more sure. The prophetic word. More sure than standing on a mountain and seeing Jesus glorified in front of him and seeing Elijah and Moses talking and hearing them talk and seeing the cloud and being in the cloud and hearing the voice from God, Peter says, we have something more certain than that. We have something more sure than that, the scriptures. God has revealed himself to us. He has given us his word. And so as people who long to see him and live for him and who want so much to love the glory that comes from God more than the glory that comes from man, we pray and we ask a sovereign and gracious God to shine in our hearts and we seek after him as hard as we possibly can in his word. We gather And we sing to Him on Sundays. We're so good at talking about Him when we're huddled around a Bible or crowded with others worshiping. But do we love the glory that comes from God Monday through Saturday? Our identity is evident not just in our boasting about the Lord when we're huddled around the Bible and a guitar. It's revealed in how we live. It's boasting always in all circumstances in the deepest parts of our hearts. Where do we find our identity truly? This Friday is Good Friday. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. We're going to talk about how the, re- the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus secure and empower our identity in Christ. Jesus bought our identity on the cross. Beautiful. I and mean, if you know me, if you know me, you know I love 
I love this whole thing. I love gathering with believers on Palm Sunday. I love gathering with believers on Good Friday. I love gathering with believers on Easter. I love gathering with believers to, to talk about His Word and worship Him. I love, love this. But do I love the glory of God more than the praise and affirmation, the glory that comes from man? We're going to talk about our identity on Friday and on Sunday and how it's secured and empowered by the crucifixion and resurrection. But until then, until then, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, the rest of today, let's seek Him with all of our hearts. Let's seek to see Him just as surely as Isaiah saw Him as we look to His Word and let's love the glory that comes from Him. And seek to boast about Him throughout our week and throughout our lives. Let's seek to be people who believe the gospel. Who love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. And we're not ashamed of it. And we're not ashamed of Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and Your grace, God. I pray for Your help, Lord. Help us. We are people who are and were desperate for you to intervene. On a collision course with your wrath. Deserved wrath. We praise you, Father, that you love us, have loved us, continue to love us. You gave Jesus, you proved your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you. We praise you, God. Help us. Help us to see you. Help us to see your glory. Help us to believe the gospel. Give us your spirit, Lord, and point us to Christ. That we would be people who truly see and who truly love the glory that comes from you. We want that, God. As we live on this speck for just a moment, Lord. We're just a flash that's here and gone. We, we don't want to be people who live for this, this sliver of eternity. You have saved us, God, and we want to be people who walk in this new identity. We want to be people who love your glory, God. We want to be people who are not ashamed of the gospel. We want to be people who confess that we believe that one has come, a perfect lamb, and laid down his life for the forgiveness of our sins. And we will live for you. We will deny ourselves. We will take up our cross. And we will die for you if you want us to, Lord. Because you are worthy. You are to be treasured. Father, help us, I pray. God, help. Help. You know the hearts of the people here. You know the crowd that is gathered before you today. You have heard us sing to you, Hosanna. You've heard us say to you words in songs that proclaim praise to you. You know our hearts, God. I pray that we would be people who walk away from this place madly in love with you, God. People who do not deny you. People who love you and love the glory that comes from you. And that you would be glorified 
that you would be glorified. That is our aim, Lord. That is our desire, that you would be glorified and not us. We praise you and we thank you for Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we pray in his name. Amen.